Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. I've got a special guest on this morning who is the author of a book. It's called Grow Now, Go Beyond Organic, Rewild Your Land, Sequester Carbon, Support Diversity. And it's a kind of an interesting book to me. Of course, I'm a, a very, very avid gardener. But uh, this gal is uh, also interested in conserving and taking care of the earth. So with me this morning, I have Emily Murphy, the author. Good morning, Emily. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, I am delighted to have you on. You are what's called a regenerative organic gardener. You wrote this book called Grow What You Love, and now this new one here is is Grow Now. And so why don't we define what is a regenerative organic gardener? Re- a, yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. I know regenerative is a, is a newer word mm-hmm. on the airwaves, one that's been shared only uh, at least predominantly in the last few years. It's typically associated with regenerative organics. It's typically associated with um, agriculture, large-scale mm-hmm. agriculture and small farms. And what what I do and what Grow Now does is it scales the, regener- the, the principles behind regenerative uh, for home gardeners. And regenerative is really, on a, on a, on a bird's-eye view, regenerative is really asking us to uh, go beyond organic, which is that one of those bullet points on the cover of my book, and and um, go beyond sustainable. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's no longer enough to be sustainable. Um, when you think about the word uh, sustainable, the, the root word is sustain, which means to maintain the status quo, mm-hmm. at least in its most rudimentary form. And it's no, it's, we can't maintain the status quo um, with the direction we're headed as far as uh, the climate crisis and species extinction. Uh, and so it's time to regrow, restore, uh, regenerate. And those words are so important because when we pair them with action, that's when I think real, real change is possible. And what's fabulous is we can, we can begin regenerating our landscapes uh, at home in our gardens. And that is another important part is that it's it's very empowering and um, in my mind um, there's hope in action. Well Emily I want to read a paragraph from your book it's in the introduction and you state we can't ignore the climate crisis and the rapid rate of species extinction any longer. The decade between 2011 and 2020 was the warmest on record and the Atlantic hurricane season of 2020 had cycled through its alphabetical naming system by the time we reached September. Likewise, the fact that we've lost half of our bumblebees and almost all of the millions of western monarchs that used to overwinter on the coast of California as recently as the 1980s is reason enough to begin repairing the damage through the simple act of growing. And so mm. one of the, the bullet points on the top or on the front of your cover is rewild your land. What does that mean? Yeah, so rewild is one of those restore, uh, regenerate um, uh, words that I like to, to throw out there, but it's, it's an important one, and it, and it actually is uh, woven throughout the book. Uh, when you think about rewilding, it's, it, it's again that the act of regrowing, but it's regrowing habitat. It's creating habitat at home. And in our gardens, that can look 
uh, many different ways. On on the national scale, when you look at rewilding organizations, they tend to focus on megafauna, reintroducing wolves and reintroducing <clears throat> other large animals. But in reality, wildness can exist in the smallest of spaces. And when we broaden our view of wilding, we include um, the uh, everything in, in the food chain, if you want to use that word, everything in these greater feedback loops that exist in the soil and above ground. And um, specifically, when we, when we think of rewilding our land, beginning with soil and the plants we grow, those are two really simple um, steps we can take to rewilding. Um, and rewilding your soil can be as simple as you know, applying compost and going organic, skipping these of, the, of um, synthetic pesticides, herbicides, and fertilizers, and um, supporting the ecology of soil. And when we do that, we inherently support the ecology uh, above ground. It's just fabulous push and pull. And that's where we can begin with that rewilding. And what happens then when we rewild our homescapes, uh, whether whether it's a yard or a vegetable garden or a perennial border, and we, we consider who's visiting and we provide plants for them, whoever it might be, birds, bees, butterflies, um, and we specifically grow some native plants, some perennials, perennial natives, along with our flowers and our vegetables, then we're creating these wildlife corridors, these living greenways, nectar paths that connect open space to open space or garden to garden. And the idea is that my garden plus your garden, your neighbor's garden, collectively make a difference. And we're then rewilding our land and we're doing it together. Well, I like that you said that. I was a part of a, it's a state program called Lawns to Legumes, where the state uh, soil and water conservation provided grants to people who were encouraged to plant pollinator plants to attract our rusty patch bumblebee, which happens to be our state bee and is is in danger of being lost, as a lot of bees and other insects have been lost because of the lack of habitat. And one of the things they did, you had to apply, it was an application process, and they did like you talked about was a corridor. So they selected people who would be part of this corridor that the pollinators would be able to travel from garden to garden, as you mentioned. Uh, otherwise, there's these vast wastelands in between. So I happened to be able to get one and establish a, a shoreline pollinator garden. And I'm excited that they renewed it this year and are just awarding grants again. So it's things like that. But a lot of people may be listening thinking, well, I don't really have that big of a yard, um, you know, or I can't really do anything. I can't make a difference. So what do you tell those people? Yeah, that's a great question. And and to back up, I have heard of the Lawns to Legumes program mm-hmm. in your area, and I think I think it's, it's fabulous. Yeah, I, it's it's so great. Um, so so you're right. Everyone has um, a different situation, and we can scale these ideas depending upon the, the the amount of time someone might have or the amount of space someone might have. I myself, until recently, was gardening in a community garden plot that was nine by fifteen. Uh, I and I had a collection of containers on the deck um, to augment that, and uh, and even that was quite a bit of space compared to some for some people. And and really, what I like to tell people is, um, start small, keep it simple. A collection of containers is enough to begin. And what happens then is we can we can also create something for ourselves. And so um, it might be that if you have uh, a small patio or deck or even a balcony 
that you can grow herbs, for instance. You can grow thyme, oregano, and um, let them go to flower. And you have something for cooking, but then you also have forage for pollinators. Uh, so it can be it can be that simple. And what's wonderful about herbs like thyme and oregano is that they're really easy to care for. They don't take much water. And again, you can harvest from them, but then you still have something for for wildlife. So it can be that small, that simple. And I think, too, that when we begin that process and we see the, the results uh, and the productivity of, of something that simple, uh, that's encouraging. And it reminds us, hey, I did that. I, I did this. This is something. And then maybe um, you start looking at your landscape a little bit differently. Maybe you start looking at uh, the area that you walk through a little bit differently. And um, maybe you're encouraged to participate in your Native Plant Society or your Lawns to Legumes program or or, or find a community garden plot that you can add to uh, your growing space. There's been a lot of dissension and, and tension over yards in uh, one of our communities here. Uh, there was an older gentleman who had what you would consider a rewilding your, your land. His yard was made up of natives and people who have the pristine, vast wasteland of just grass didn't like it. Well, he was older and he couldn't keep it up. I mean, there is one thing to be said for that you can still have native plants and, you know, keep it up. But when you're older, sometimes you can't keep it up. And they wanted to basically say, you got to get rid of all this. And there was an uprising of people like yourself who realized the importance of these sorts of things. So I think it's going to come, there's that tension of what is okay and what isn't okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I I agree completely. And I also think that it's time to rewrite the narrative and uh, normalize or change our normalized wilding. But but as you say, there might be a fine line. But also rewrite the narrative or 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 shift our baseline for what's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that comes from a connectivity with nature. And also a little bit of compassion, uh, generosity, curiosity. And, and I like to say to people, um, you know, when you were a child, you played in the dirt. Why did you ever stop? This mm-hmm. is where the magic happens. Because I didn't want to get dirty. When you get older, for some reason, we're told it's not good to be dirty. <laughs> well, that might be. But, you know, what science tells us is that getting your hands in soil uh, makes you feel better, makes you feel happier, releases serotonin in the body. And... And I, and I talk about some of these things in Grow Now. There's this fabulous connectivity with our bodies and, and nature at a microbial level. And connectivity with soil, connectivity with plants, um, they, they, can, they can do everything from reduce our risk of inflammatory illnesses and allergies to, again, relieving anxiety and depression. And so there are these real ties with our connectivity with nature. And, and I sometimes think that there, there are barriers we put up as we get older. Uh, we sort of lose a Peter Pan in our lives, so to speak. <laughs> and, and, um, but I think that when we're given an opportunity to see how beautiful wild spaces can be, and I, and I do think you're right. We need to be given opportunities too to see what um, a a yard with a wilding aesthetic that is sort of highbrow on that end of design. Uh, like a beautiful meadow or, or, you know, something that's really um, not just a cast of seeds but but uh, well-planned could look like, mm-hmm. and, and that could be really exciting for people. Uh, 
But yeah, I think it's time to have a new normal, a new baseline for beauty. When in one of your chapters is called Go Beyond Organic. What does really that mean? Go Beyond Organic, it circles back to regenerative and looking again at regrowing. So organic practices ask us to, um, to leave out uh, pesticides, herbicides, synthetic fertilizers from the equation. Uh, and in our food system, that's really important uh, because um, because that's it, we know we know for a fact that cre- creatures like the rusty patch bumblebee are suffering because of habitat loss, but also because of the sheer number of pollutants and toxins in the environment, and um, also the climate crisis, the heat factors that are increasing and and affecting habitat. Uh, but going beyond organic really asks us to look towards a resilient landscape, which gives us a re- more resilient today and tomorrow. And and so it's not just about emitting toxins. That's really important. It's about, it's about um, re-energizing the soil by supporting the biodiversity of soil, supporting the biodiversity above ground, and doing all the things we were just talking about, creating living greenways and nectar paths and corridors for wildlife to move. And we benefit as well. And when we think about regrowing our landscapes, I mean, honestly, when you really think about it, we spent all these years disassembling nature. And some of these actions have been very well-meaning. We're building our homes. We're creating communities. Uh, but now it's time to look at how we can reassemble nature and reassemble nature within our communities. Um, and our communities are better for it. Uh, we know that home values go up when there's more trees and and a beautiful um, you know beautiful streets with lined with plants. We also know that that communities with more trees, for instance, have less crime. And mm-hmm. so so there are, there are human benefits to uh, rewilding and um, going beyond organic within our communities. So do you have any examples of places maybe that have been rewilded that are public spaces that you can think of that might be good examples of people could look look at a picture of of something that's well well managed because I think sometimes when we hear rewilding we think of something that's unruly or out of just you know just a mess. Yeah. Um well right off the top of my head I would suggest people take a look at the Highline Park in New York City. There's lots of pictures of it. Uh it's it's a it's not even on the ground. It's it's on this old railway that hmm. used to um, go back and forth in the meatpacking district in New York City, and uh, it basically was rewilded. And it, and not all the plants are native, but many of the plants are native. It's a collection of grasses and um, uh, trees and and uh, other perennials, flowering perennials. And it's really, really beautiful, and it's packed with people. And I'm sure when there's fewer people, it's packed with birds and and um, insects. Um, and and really, that's a good point because really, um, it, rewilding could happen in any number of situations. So one of the images in in my book and Grow Now is a rooftop flower farm in Berkeley, and I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with Berkeley East Bay, at least in, in their minds, if not if they haven't visited. It's a typical sprawling city center. Uh, it's not very clean until you get closer to uh, the hillsides. And, yeah, it's urban. It's a lot of concrete. And then here on this rooftop is this incredible flower farm. And then the flowers are for, for commercial use. 
they're not native. They do draw pollinators. But on the edge is a hedgerow, a native hedgerow. And it's all native plants, plants native to Northern California. And it is full of life. Mm-hmm. It is a mecca, a hub for hummingbirds and birds of all kinds and, and uh, bees and butterflies. It's really quite remarkable. Uh, and it could be that simple. It doesn't have to be your entire plot. It doesn't have to be that you're converting your, your, your yard or your, your lawn back to the woods that it once was, but it, it could be bringing in some of those plants, uh, to create these types of spaces that are valuable. Uh, for people and again for for nature. I know that's one of the things I've been doing with my own property is I I was always about you know buying the hybrids the prettiest the the, the that sort of thing but realizing that that necessarily isn't always feeding the pollinators and that sort of thing because some of these these uh, flowers or things that are hybridized that don't have any pollen for example because you know sometimes you don't like pollen or they have the double bloom some of those aren't as good for pollinators but I'm you can incorporate them within a space that has natives and you know still you're not giving those up but you're just in creating this beautiful space to enhance it with some of those other plants and I noticed a lot more and maybe you have too that there are a lot more companies that are actually growing natives and selling natives and sometimes they're pre-planned gardens which I love I, I get some from a Wisconsin place called Prairie nursery and there's another one in Minnesota called Prairie Moon Nursery and they have pre-planned gardens of pollinators that one of the important things and I think you touch on this as well is that the plants you have need to be uh, in bloom uh, so it's available for a whole season so these pollinators can thrive for as long as your season is long. Right right yeah that's a really good point and and I've seen the pre-planned gardens they're fabulous Mm -hmm. and what what I really love about um looking for those types of opportunities within your state is that they are locally grown they're 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 um your your local climate is taken into consideration as well and also uh the topography and the challenges that gardeners may or may not face and also what happens too is is when plants have to cross state lines at least here in California for plants to come in and out of the bo- over the border they're required to be treated systemically with pesticides and herbicides. Well, pesticides in particular. And those pesticides are systemic. They're long-lasting. Right. And so we found that, and I don't remember the names of any of them because they're long and multisyllable. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to look them up. But we, we um, researchers, researchers, researchers have found that uh, these are quite damaging to bees, in particular bees and butterflies, but bees in particular. And um, it's really quite sad. But if we look for um, native plants and other plants grown within our state, we can um, we can most likely ensure, especially if they say they're grown organically, that uh, we're leaving these um, types of toxins out of the equation. And then you're supporting a local business. And again, yes, I think those planting plans are absolutely fabulous. What encouraged you to start doing this, Emily? in terms of why did you, what was it that triggered that you think this is important to do and I need to do this now? Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners stay awake at night wondering what more you can do <laughs> to help this vast problem. And we're all doing the best we can. And we have bills to pay. We have, you know, kids to get to school. Um, you know, the laundry needs to be folded. Uh, what more can you do? Life is busy. Uh, 
but really when when I, at one point I used to be a classroom teacher I have a I have a collection of things that brought me to this point but one of them I was a classroom teacher and during that uh, time I was uh, an, uh, yeah, an idea was reinforced to me that we all have our own gifts we all have something to mm-hmm. offer and to bring to the table and um, when we when we consider those gifts and we think about who we are as a human, what's important to us, maybe it's music, maybe it's art, maybe it's being a communicator like you and, and really sharing these fabulous ideas of radio. Uh, but we all have a gift. And for me, it's like, oh, well, I can do this. I was raised with gardening. My, uh, my, my grandparents, I spent time with my grandmother and her garden and then my mom and my fifth grade teacher. And then I studied botany and ethnobotany. And I was a teacher myself, like, okay, all the puzzle pieces are coming together. I wrote Grow What You Love, and I was like, okay, I can, write, I can do this. I can write another book. And this is so important to me. And so in college, I studied um, ethnobotany, but it was really this, this combination of um, environmental ecology and social ecology paired with environmental science and soil science and, and ecology in general. And it all just sort of came together. And um, I was able to produce this book, which was really hard in 2020. I have to mm. admit, I did most of the writing in 2020, and um, I think it's a better book for it. But um, it did it did spur me on. That's for sure. 2020 was a crazy year with the pandemic and the lockdown and uh, the news cycle. And oh, wow, it was it was tough. Uh, and I really wanted to find some hope. And to remind people, look, it can be this simple. This is something we can do every day, and it we benefit from it. Our, we benefit from it personally. We can feed our children and our families good, healthy food. We can grow uh, habitat that's good for us. I mean, we know that anxiety levels have spiked, but looking at plants reduces stress. You know, brings just like touching soil, it improves mood and can reduce anxiety. And um, spending time in nature does the same thing. So why not invite those things into our lives and grow better lives today for ourselves that also then help us grow a better future? And, you know, you talk about simple steps is what you have, and you've got pictures. And I, I am I assuming that a lot of these pictures are from your own yard and garden, or are these from other places? Uh, many of the photos in the book are from my own yard and garden. I did take, I'm just flipping through the book now, I did go to some other gardens, mm-hmm. um, for instance, that rooftop flower farm sure. in Berkeley that I mentioned just to show it was possible. Um, I also photographed in uh, a few other people's yards and gardens to show the variety. I, I took quite a few um, photos of, I think, three or four gardens in Burlington, Vermont, for instance, and uh, I went to this ecology center and, and took photos for a few different seasons. Because uh, you were mentioning earlier, it's important to have plants flowering through the seasons. Mm-hmm. And it's really it's really wonderful to see how a garden changes over the seasons. And so I, I went to uh, Sonoma Garden Park and Ecology Center for that purpose. But a lot of them, yeah, they're in my, they're in my yard and my garden. And it's my old garden. My family and I, we just moved a year ago and... So I'm renovating and uh, regenerating this plot of land, which was completely barren, uh, abandoned lawn that had rock-hard soil. <laughs> and I sheet mulched it and got my cardboard down and my compost and 
it's I'm bringing it back to life slowly. But before moving, I had a community garden plot and a deck garden, mm. and uh, yeah, so that's what's in the book uh, visually. And I I'm hoping it gives people a wide range of ideas of how it could look for them. Emily, I'm glad you mentioned that you started with kind of a blank slate. We purchased a lake house a few years back, and it was kind of a blank slate. It had a lot of lawn on it, and it's by a lake, and of course water quality is an important issue. And I've been gradually taking and making it into native plants and, you know, adding some trees and, and things like that. And you mentioned sheet mulching, and that is something that I have done as well. Talk a little bit about what that is, because I think it's so daunting that people think they need to have a big bulldozer come in and clear everything out and then till it and all that sort of thing. So talk about a little bit how you can do it, maybe like I'm doing with a little patch of garden at a time. Yeah, that's that's exactly um, how to approach it. Um, and I'm guessing you've had some success with sheet mulching. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I have too. So sheet mulching is this really simple process of, uh, I like to use cardboard. Some people just put compost down straight over the soil. I've have, I've used a lot of cardboard, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think cardboard is really important, especially when it's an abandoned lawn or an existing lawn. Mm-hmm. Um, an existing lawn, you know, the grass is still growing. You can cut it short, put that cardboard over the top of it and a single layer of cardboard should do the trick then put down two to four inches of of mulch and the type of mulch or compost you put down depends upon what you plan to plant there later um, or in the immediate future Um, if it's going to be trees and shrubs you could use something that has more woody debris in the mulch and if it's a vegetable garden that you're planning to grow then you would want to use uh, a a compost that is akin to uh, a compost that would have been made from veggie scraps and Mm -hmm. yard trimmings and a typical compost pile. Uh, But it works really effectively. And what I had to do with my yard was I sheet mulched it twice. Oh, I sheet mulched it. Yeah, I sheet mulched it early in the, um, well, right after we moved in, so a year ago, March. And... Then later in the summer, which most people probably wouldn't have to do this, but mine had some really unruly weeds in it, and it still does. Lots of bindweed and all kinds of thistle and crazy things. And so um, I, in the most pernicious parts of the yard and also the, the parts of the yard that were, were really rock hard, I added a second layer of cardboard and another layer of mulch when you lay the cardboard down, you wet it. So you invite mm-hmm. microbes to come start decomposing. And I just started planting in this space, so it's not quite a year. And it's incredible how uh, how how the soil fertility has changed yes. in 10 months. And the good thing about when you don't, when you just put cardboard down versus you till it up, because if you till it, you un, you unearth all those weed seeds and things, and then you get a big old mess. So that's one of the benefits I found of doing that sheet method. And and you talk about that in your book quite a bit. So um, I wanted to let people know that if they want to do this sort of thing, because we're out of time almost here, Emily. Sorry about that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, your book, Grow Now, Go Beyond Organic, and Rewild Your Land, uh, has some great illustrations in there, everything from composting to layering, um, plant starting your, your yard with using the layer sheet layer method, which I have used very successfully. And it's just got some great information in here. And uh, anything I, I'm going to let you go, is there a place people can go on a website to find out more about your information, Emily? Yeah, well, Grow Now is available wherever books are sold. 
Uh, and uh, listeners can find me, Emily Murphy, at Pass the Pistol. That's P-I-S-T-I-L dot com. That's my website, and I'm at Pass the Pistol. Again, P-I-S-T-I-L is in part of a flower on Instagram, Twitter, um, Pinterest, you name it. I'm there uh, trying to share these ideas. But, yeah, Fine Grow Now, wherever books are sold, I really hope it works some magic out there. Oh, it's got some great stuff in it. Thank you. We've been chatting with Emily Murphy, the author of Grow Now, a book that is just out that anything you want to know about rewilding, organic, you name it, it's well laid out. And I want to thank you for your time, Emily, and and all the best to you. Yeah, thanks so much, Karen. Take care. Bye-bye. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union. With two locations in Mankato since 1934, it pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.